0: Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's
2: 12.03, Friday afternoon, November 4th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on the Noon Business Hour. Presented by the Village of Bedford Park, I'm Rob Hart. Starbucks tops analysts' expectations with its quarterly report. We'll cover that in our next segment. But right now, the Labor Department has released its jobs report for October. Let's examine the numbers and what they mean with Carl Ricadana, Chief Economist with BNP Paribas, based in New York. Carl, thanks for joining us today. On the surface, if you uh, exceed expectations with the jobs report, that's a good thing. Are there any uh, catches in the October jobs report released this morning?
3: Well, as we look at the jobs report, we see that things are slowing down, absolutely, but they're slowing down from stratospheric levels. Uh, We had a very robust pace of hiring earlier this year. Uh, And uh, there's a deceleration underway, but not uh, enough to really satisfy monetary policymakers uh, that they have slowed down the economy sufficiently uh, to start to make some progress on the inflation front. So. Uh, We can say good news is bad news because that means there's uh, more work to be done uh, on the policy front.
2: Non-farm payrolls growing by 261,000 in October. The unemployment rate ticked up just a little bit to uh, 3.7%, the broader jobless number at 6.8%. One analyst said this morning when talking about the labor market and the Fed's response to it that the labor market was going 100 miles an hour, now it's 80 miles an hour hour. The Fed needs it at 40. Uh, Do you agree with that uh, speed limit assessment?
3: I I think that's a pretty fair uh, assessment. Uh, If we're growing near the pace uh, that we're seeing uh, in terms of job creation, uh, the unemployment rate is not going to back up to any material degree. That doesn't mean it can't bounce around from month to month. And I think that's what we saw today as it backed up to 3.7 percent from 3.5 percent. But it's bounced around previously uh, it doesn't necessarily have to run at a consistent level uh, over time. So a little bit of bouncing around. But until we slow down to that 40-mile-per-hour uh, pace, which uh, in terms of non farm payrolls, I would say would be more like uh, 100,000 jobs a month or less. Uh, we're not going to see any loosening of labor conditions. And and Jerome Powell speaking earlier this week in his uh, post-meeting press conference, his post-rate hike press conference, uh, was describing the labor market as very, very tight, uh, off balance, uh, those types of descriptions. So it's just, it's too hot. It's too tight. We need to slow down further. uh, And until we do that, the Fed's going to keep at it in terms of uh, raising those interest rates to try to slow down the economy.
2: Now, at this point, uh, have we surpassed the number of jobs that were lost at the beginning of the COVID pandemic, uh, all those layoffs in March and April of 2020?
3: Absolutely. Uh, we got there at the middle of this year, uh, which is interesting because in terms of economic output, uh, we recovered the, the COVID losses uh, much more uh, quickly uh, and it took the labor market a lot longer to uh, pose that full recovery, in part because of the the difficulty uh, placing workers. We had a lot of dropouts uh, from the labor force and and workers who were maybe cautious to return or or were unable to return due to uh, you know children being uh, you know in some sort of hybrid learning environment. and so mom or dad had to stay home uh, and oversee some of that. Uh, but nonetheless, we have finally made a, a full recovery in the labor market.
2: Carl Riccadonna, Chief Economist, BNP Paribas, based in New York. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Coming up, young customers driving sales at Starbucks.
0: Discussing the news affecting your money. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Starbucks is enjoying
2: a strong fall. Let's find out what's drawing in customers. We're joined by Izzy Karish, president of Hospitality Works, a.k.a. the restaurant coach based in Chicago. Izzy, thanks for joining us today. Uh, It was uh, early September when Starbucks announced it was rolling out the uh, pumpkin spice drinks once again, and people were complaining this is entirely too early. But it appears uh, Starbucks is laughing all the way to the bank.
4: Well, they are, and you know, it's it's very uh, very few companies that can announce uh, something that's coming up and the public uh, really reacts to it. So when they announced, uh, and this was in the paper just a few days ago, that the Uh, You know, the holiday drinks were going to be introduced on November 3rd, you know, which was yesterday for a comeback Uh, for many of those beverages. uh, You know, the sales soared. People uh, are really waiting for something special from Starbucks every year.
2: And Starbucks is doing really well with younger customers. And we had this discussion last week about the uh, fast casual chains that are doing well with younger customers. They generally do well because they have an app that's easy to use. Is that the case with Starbucks?
4: Well, I think a lot of things are helping Starbucks right now. Certainly the app was a big feature that has now tied people into Starbucks uh, for quite a while. But as we see prices rising everywhere else, we used to say how expensive Starbucks was. And I think now when you're looking at the price of food and what it's like to go out, all of, all of a sudden, you know, a $4, $5 cup of coffee at Starbucks seems relatively uh, inexpensive and a nice treat.
2: And is it also a, a function of a post-pandemic trend of of people were making coffee at home for so long in 2020 and 2021? Uh, they would like to have that treat made by a competent professional and not uh, from someone trying to do something based on a YouTube video?
4: <laughs> well, th- it is certainly nice to have something made by somebody else. And the other key, of course, is you know if you've had uh, the pumpkin... Latte, you know, last year you go to uh, Starbucks, what you loved last year is exactly the same. It's what you're looking forward to and you're not disappointed like, you know, somebody who might be trying to make it for you at home. Uh, Very nice, but not the same.
2: Businesses have been able to uh, monetize the holiday season, all of the flavors, all of the cuisine. Is this a sign that fall and Halloween are going to become big profit centers for restaurants to the degree that the holidays are?
4: Uh, Absolutely. I mean, again, if if they do the marketing right, I mean, you know, Starbucks certainly is marketing their holiday beverages. Uh, People feel like it is the start of the holiday season you know McDonald's does the same thing you know when they introduce the McRib it's a big you know advertising com- campaign it's coming it's coming and then finally it's here it's the sign of of summer so uh Starbucks is consistent and they're doing uh more and more holiday uh, beverages.
2: And this is even more remarkable given some of the headwinds they're facing. Uh, they do have a lot of problems in China with COVID disruptions there. And on top of that, uh, in some central business districts, you're not dealing with a fully, you know, a, a 2019 style uh, rush hour or lunch hour in the downtown areas in many big cities, Chicago included.
4: Oh, absolutely. I mean, that market has changed, uh, you know, conceivably forever. I mean, A lot of businesses have uh, had to close and and aren't getting the customer base in there. And I'm sure that in those particular areas, Starbucks is, uh, you know, feeling the pain as well. But they have other markets uh, that they look to that uh, is a better demographic uh, and brings, you know, people in more often. And, of course, one of the things that they are really focused on is a younger clientele uh, who will carry their brand into, you know, the next 50 years.
2: Izzy Karish, president of Hospitality Works, a.k.a. the restaurant coach, based in Chicago. Thanks for joining us today. Coming up next, the cryptocurrency exchange platform Coinbase
0: continues its roller coaster ride. Information to make cash and save cash. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Coinbase tops estimates with
2: its user numbers but shows a larger-than-expected loss. Let's get the latest on the crypto exchange from Bill Uliveri, owner of Seneca Capital Management in Glenview. Bill, thanks for joining us today. What a year it's been for Coinbase. Back in February, of course, Coinbase uh, turned lots of heads during the Super Bowl with that uh, commercial that was nothing more than a QR code bouncing around for 30 or 60 seconds. And now we're talking about uh, significant headwinds uh, for Coinbase and the crypto space in general. Uh, What are some of the highlights and some of the lowlights from their third quarter report?
5: Well, I I would say, Rob, that the, the report was that they, they lost money in this quarter. They didn't lose as much as analysts had expected. Um, and, but you're right. I mean, there are headwinds because Brian Armstrong, the CEO of Coinbase, would, was the first woman to say Coinbase performance is tied to the performance of cryptocurrency. And so I, I tend to look past the small economic numbers, like the quarter to quarter things. But you have to remember that there's almost 200 mutual funds and exchange traded funds that now hold, hold Coinbase shares. Coinbase high was around $429 a share after the IPO, and then the low was around $41 a share in June of this year. So it had a big, big swing in terms of you know, peak to trough um, trading range. But the the positive thing of Coinbase is that their subscription and services revenue rose to about $210 million, uh, up from $145 million. But again, you know if you want to focus on the small numbers, I'm not saying that you shouldn't. I'm just saying that Their recent relationship with BlackRock is huge. Uh, All their business models of points of sale, their crypto pay platform that they're going to be uh, in a relationship with, I think it's Google, they're going to form like a joint venture. It's just, there's just so much really interesting news and products and adoption on the institutional side that Bitcoin, I'm sorry, that Coinbase is embracing and they're attracting. Uh, You know, even Fidelity is coming out with a new crypto platform. For their retail uh, advisors. First, it's just going to be Bitcoin and Ethereum, but this move toward cryptocurrency, you know, JP Morgan, the PayPal, like the big, everybody, Wells Fargo, I mean, from A to Z. Is adopting blockchain and, and coinbase to me is the the pick and shovels of that of that business
2: and it seems like with uh, coinbase and the crypto space you know writ large uh it's been put through its paces this year it it, it was implemented during a, a very different set under a different a very different set of economic conditions interest rates growth and mm-hmm. then you go into this period where you have a lot of people have uh, more disposable income than they thought because of the pandemic and stimulus checks they could start playing around in this space that they merely heard about before. And then now we have higher interest rates for the first time in a meaningful way in uh, nearly 20 years. And we get to learn an awful lot about how cryptocurrency behaves in these different environments. And what have we learned so far this year?
5: Well, cryptocurrency, again, is a risk-on. It's like any technology. Your Coinbase is down 77% percent year to date Facebook down 73%. The, the iShares 20-year bond fund is down 35.5%. Dogecoin, surprisingly, has outperformed long-term bond funds, right? The Vanguard, uh, you know, the S&P 500 is down 22. So I would say if there's been a lesson of 2022, it has been all asset classes, technology, you know, the S&P 500, QQQ, bond funds. You know, we've forgotten what it's like uh, when the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away so to speak, right? And we've seen all asset class get hurt, except the US dollar this year, which all eyes are focused on. As the US dollar goes, you know, the market tends to decline when it rallies. And now the dollar seems like it's peaking. We've reached all our Fed targets of, uh, of, of the tenure at 4.3%. So I'm anticipating that the crypto winter is over. And I think things are looking really interesting right about here, Rob. And I just don't want to take my eye off the ball in the big picture by focusing on one quarter worth of results.
2: Bill Uliveri, owner of Senecal Capital Management in Glenview, thanks for joining us this afternoon. Still ahead, Entrepreneur Friday, checking out trends as the annual
1: Innovation Awards, the Chicago Innovation Awards, approach. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. The WBBM
0: noon business hour
1: continues.
2: Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on news radio. WBBM, the tumultuous times at Twitter include worker layoffs and a loss of advertisers. Former President Trump still claiming that he won the 2020 election. It's Entrepreneur Friday, a preview of this year's Chicago Innovation Awards, which are under two weeks away. And the questions remain about the true economic impact of next summer's NASCAR race in Grant Park. WBBM Business, the market. Markets are mixed right now. The Dow up 14 points. The Nasdaq down 53 and the S&P 500 down 2. AccuWeather says uh, cloudy rain, thunderstorms scattered here and there. A high today of 70. We have 64 degrees right now at O'Hare with light rain at 1231, topping our news at the half hour. The day many Twitter employees have dreaded has arrived ever since the company was sold. CBS News correspondent Matt Bigler reporting from San Francisco Francisco. says hundreds of workers are being laid off and that some advertisers are also jumping ship. Twitter employees are tweeting their final goodbyes. It's not known how many of the company's 7,500 workers will lose their jobs in the wake of Elon Musk's takeover, but many Twitter users are
0: concerned about how the layoffs will affect content moderation. Larry Roberts is pleading with Musk to censor hate speech.
5: Social media should be for sharing information, not for trolling people and uh, sharing hateful content
0: Content. Meanwhile, according to the Wall Street Journal, a growing number of companies including Audi, General Mills and Pfizer are also pausing advertising on Twitter. Matt Bigler for CBS News, San Francisco.
2: With Election Day rapidly approaching President Biden and former President Trump held rallies last night, Trump continues to insist he won the 2020 election, while Biden warns that those types of false claims are a threat to democracy.
3: Across the country, state election officials are trying to reassure voters that next week's results will be accurate, while they're also urging patience because those results may not be final right away. They can't have a doubt. And because if they do, our republic has fallen. There will be dueling rallies in Pennsylvania tomorrow with President Biden and former President Obama on one side of the state and former President Trump on the other. Deborah Alfarone, CBS News, Washington.
2: It's 1232. The Noon Business Hour continues, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Markets are mixed today. We're joined by Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services and publisher of the Dow Theory Forecast newsletter based in Hammond. Chuck, thanks for joining us today. What a wild day it's been on wall street and that's kind of an evergreen uh, take on what's happening in the markets especially in the last week or so uh the futures markets dropped on the initial news of the october employment report and then the dow was up almost 500 points earlier this morning and now it's struggling to stay above the flat line what's kind of the investor psychology on a day like today
6: it's they're confused just like the market is is confused it's you know you have a jobs report that on the one hand yeah the unemployment rate went up Uh, on the other hand the the number of jobs created was hotter than expected and then you throw in there which to me maybe the biggest thing to come out of that report is that the wage growth actually now is now down below 5% which is a a, a positive which should be a positive for the market wage wage inflation I think is from a market standpoint is probably you know the, the most detrimental to stock prices so I thought that was kind of the silver lining in the report And I think people are kind of sorting through that and trying to see, you know, was there enough good news in here or not for for the market to go higher? But, you know, it comes on the heels of the Fed announcement earlier this week, which um, (laughs) on the one hand seemed like maybe the the pace is going to slow down. Uh, On the other hand, they still think that the rate's going to go significantly higher. So it's. It's grappling with those sorts of cross currents that the market's struggling with right now.
2: There seem to be a lot of conflicting data points. And uh, if you pick out the ones you want, uh, which is always a dangerous assignment, but if you pick out the ones that you want, it could paint a picture that the inflation, uh, the trajectory of inflation is about to change dramatically or has already done so.
6: Yes. And then that's that's one argument that you can make from the data another argument that people are making from the same data and from history is that you know inflation doesn't change its stripes that quickly and and you know we we need to settle in here that while it may not be going significantly higher it is not going to be coming down sharply in the near term as weather and and again that's kind of what the market and investors are struggling with which side of that narrative makes sense to them and how they should be placing their bets Uh, On the market based on that narrative, and and again, it's it's confusing. And if you think about it, Rob, you know there aren't too many people that have been in the market as an either a professional investor or an individual investor that had to deal with inflation. I mean, it's really been a non-event for for investing and stock investors for the last forty years. And so, how do you calibrate that into the investment equation is something people are struggling with because they haven't been there before. Uh, most of us, and you're trying to figure out how detrimental inflation is going to be. and Is it going to last? Is it going to come down quickly? And those are that's why you get markets uh, trading like they do today.
2: And then very quickly, Chuck, uh, can we find clarity in the Dow theory during these confusing times?
6: Well, you can find clarity in terms of the bearish side. The primary trend of the market is still bearish under the Dow theory. And what we expect to happen based on the Dow theory is that When this rally peters out, and perhaps maybe it has already, uh, you'll get a retest of those September lows in both the Dow Jones Industrial and Transportation Average and how those averages hold up uh, when they retest those lows will say a lot in terms of has if the market has bottomed There we have further to go on the downside. So we're watching those September lows in the indices.
2: Chuck Carlson, CEO, Horizon Investment Services, publisher of the Dow Theory Forecast newsletter based in Hammond. Thanks for joining us today. Up next in Entrepreneur Friday, tracking the trends of business innovation
0: in Chicago. Compounding your interest with an economy of words. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour.
2: It's Entrepreneur Friday, and this year's Chicago Innovation Awards Are set to take place on November 16th. Joining us to talk about some of the big trends ahead of the event is Luke Tannen, President and CEO of Chicago Innovation. Luke, thanks for joining us today. It seems like there are three big areas in which Chicago's innovation space is being brought to bear to uh, bring about significant improvements. And we're talking about climate change, senior lifestyles, and healthcare. Uh, What are some of the, the big innovation success stories that you're seeing so far this year?
7: Yeah, well, and thanks for having me on. So first, just to explain, you know, there's such a breadth of innovation in the Chicago region. So on November 16th at the Chicago Innovation Awards, there will be 21 winners. You're going to see products and services in all industries, for-profits, non-profits, high-tech, low-tech, and no-tech. It truly reflects the diversity of innovation in Chicago. But to your point, what's always fun and fascinating is seeing the trends that emerge. So starting with, you know, there was an abundance of nominees that we received this year focused on combating climate change. And we happen to have a new award category that's called the Climate Champion Award. And, and I'm glad we do because more companies seem intent on finding ways to reverse the effects of climate change. And, you know, one good example is a Chicago startup called Reuso, which makes reusable cups and containers that can be reused a thousand times. But what's particularly innovative is the fact that it has a super tiny sensor embedded in these cups and containers so that the companies deploying them think sports stadiums or anywhere that traditionally creates a tremendous amount of waste can reduce its waste and actually measure the positive impact that it's having on the environment by using reusables. And then the other category you mentioned, um, focusing on older adults. So, you know, this category of innovation, that's only going to get larger because there's people are living longer than ever before. And the baby boomer generation is a uniquely large one. So it's no surprise that innovations are being developed to solve the needs of older adults. And, you know, case in point, is a Chicago startup called Joe & Bella. So to understand the problem that they are solving, two-thirds of older adults live with mobility, motor, and cognitive changes and issues, and as a result, often face challenges while dressing. So Joe & Bella is reimagining clothing for older adults by creating adaptive apparel. The company's first product, which is called the CareZips Classic, features a patented three-zipper system that has transformed the dressing process so Believe this or not, you can actually take pants on and off while remaining sitting. It makes getting dressed quicker, easier, and more dignified. And then the last trend that you'd mention is in the space of healthcare. Specifically, it's increasing digital transformation in the world of health and wellness. And I've got two quick good examples for you. First, Epicor Biosystems and Gatorade joined forces to create the GX Sweat Patch. It's a digital sensor-based wearable patch that sticks your body while you work out to understand how you sweat. So this skin-like wearable patch pairs with a mobile app to provide you with real time and personalized recommendations regarding how to optimally rehydrate after you exercise. And you know, Serena Williams uses it, Lionel Messi uses it, it, and it's available for the average consumer. And then the last example I'll share is Level X. It is the world's first medical video game company. And by the way, all these examples I've mentioned, all from the Chicago region. And what they uh, nominated was a a game called Top Derm. It's a video game made just for dermatologists, and it uses interactive entertainment to train them to address both common and rare skin conditions. And here's a big problem they're solving. Only 4 to 18% of the images featured in the average dermatology textbook are actually of non-white skin. And this causes poor diagnosis and, and outcomes for patients of color. So So Top Derm contains 40% skin of color images, and it's completely free to download and play. It increases access to medical professionals around the world. And you know, it's already been downloaded over 39,000 times. So you can see it's having a a big impact on the industry.
2: That's a comprehensive rundown. Luke Tannen, president and CEO of Chicago Innovation, the Chicago Innovation Awards, coming up November 16th. For more information, go to chicagoinnovation.com. Still to come, gauging the economic impact of the NASCAR
0: street race in Chicago. It's 60 minutes of financial planning. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues.
2: Organizers of the NASCAR race in Grant Park next summer have released a report estimating the economic impact of the event. Let's check the numbers with Greg Hines, columnist Crane Chicago Business. Greg, thanks for joining us today. NASCAR says this uh, race through Grant Park, in, around, and uh, over uh, next summer will be worth uh, $113.8 million to Chicago's economy. How did they arrive at that figure and does the math add up? Well, they
7: they hired an outside consulting company that does this kind of thing uh, and uh, they asked Estimate how many people are going to show up, what the average ticket price is going to be. Uh, and then from that they projected well, what
2: share coming up. And these are not like generous assumptions either, because there are some economic impact reports for other venues or, or other buildings that have been built over the years. I mean, one, one economic impact study that I remember uh, tried to put a dollar amount on uh, inspiration that people would find from attending a particular exhibit. So we're not getting uh, we're, we're not uh, getting existential with some of these numbers. I mean, this is, you know, actual dollars and sense, goods and services kind of things.
7: Uh, indeed it is. They could have, for instance, put a value on oh, what's it worth to Chicago to get this commercial uh, nationally because it's going to be televised. Uh, what does that come up with? Uh, you know, but on the other hand, they're clearly trying to do a sales job. Their life would kind of sprung this on everybody. Uh, it never went before the city council for a vote or the parties required for a vote.
3: So the organizers are kind of doing an ex post facto.
2: Greg Hines, columnist, Crane Chicago Business. Thanks for joining us this afternoon to kind of break down the numbers of the uh, NASCAR race in downtown Chicago next summer. Uh, The uh, sports consultant they hired to uh, analyze the economic impact of that race say it'll be worth about $113.8 million to the city's economy. And I guess we'll find out next summer if those numbers actually add up.